Welcome to the People Experience Podcast, where thought leaders from SAP, NASA, and Shell share wisdom on how to engage employees, build community, and ultimately create a people-centric experience. Hi, everyone. I'm your host. I'm James Sinclair, the CEO of Alumni EX with the Alumni Experience platform that enables organizations to maintain a connection with their former employees to drive recruiting, sales, and brand advocates. You're on the People Experience podcast, where we have these amazing conversations with people doing amazing things. And with that, I am thrilled to welcome to the show a new friend. We were linked together by our mutual friend, uh, Chef Samir Patel, and we're going to talk about that shortly. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself uh, you know, but before I do, I think two things to to note. Number one is I flatly refuse to send you any questions in advance to allow you to prepare because I loved our pre-call and that's what I wanted. You're you're an absolute expert and having read the book, no question, this is going to be a breeze. So apologies in advance for being so uh, stubborn on that. And the second is I'm halfway through the book, the DAP strategy, DAP strategy, wasn't sure, and I'm really good, really ready to have an interesting conversation about how people and community and network are a critical pillar of kind of business transformation. So with that long-winded intro, Raj, fill us in who you are, a bit on your background, how you got to where you are, and perhaps equally important, how the hell you managed to put it all in this book in such a concise way. Thanks, James, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast with you. Um, so how did I end up here? In very simple terms, I've been in uh, the tech space for 15, 20 years. And I started off my career in back office uh, outsourced processing uh, with ADP, gravitated through to SAP, where um, I helped integrate the success factors business acquisition and drove a go to market there. And around 2015, the end of 2015, I started realizing that the cloud wasn't just about a lift and shift of where you were today into um, a new environment. Um, I suddenly realized that it was actually about business outcomes. It was actually about value realization. And I thought it might be smart of me to actually go and learn what that actually meant from a customer's lens. So I did a crazy thing and I went across to a Japanese manufacturer to run uh, the, the, the HR transformation program and it didn't take me long to realize how out of my depth I was, um, purely because the drivers were very different. The expectations were very different. And along that journey, I bumped into um, this little company that was about $20 million in revenue at the time. And they were launching something called a digital adoption platform, where the basic premise was, we're going to take the friction out of how you use technology. Um, uh, I, I pitched my way in five years on, uh, five years to almost the day. Uh, I'm now um, the chief evangelist at WalkMe. And uh, I'd say about this time last year, I really was looking at, you know, the state of some of my clients. I was looking at the employees. I, I saw a lot of mundane faces, a lot of people feeling that the joy had been sucked out of work. And I started to peel back the onion a little bit around that and found that the complexity of work was really what was bogging people down. And uh, the, the DAP strategy is really uh, a tribute to all those people who I had the privilege of collaborating with to try and understand how we could simplify work and in the process, um, de-risk and accelerate digital transformation programs. Kind of makes sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's a really important intro because most people coming here talking about community and networks and the transformation is such a global term. And there's so many conversations as I've been going through the book, I saw so many of the same principles that just apply to good business. So many things, you know, you had this line, I'm going to misquote it about making people feel resilient and happy and comfortable. And, and again, apologies that I'm butchering the line, but that's just a... a that's a business strategy, right? Of just do right by our people. And part of doing right by our people is making sure that they are equipped to succeed. And so, so much of transformation isn't about ripping out the ERP and moving it to the cloud. It's about making our people part of this journey from the second they think about joining this organization 
all the way into the business I'm in, which is when they transition out the organization. So I wonder if you can touch on this kind of applicability of, because I feel like you could have replaced a lot of the word transformation with being a good company, being decent to your people, having a great culture, having a employee-led culture, letting them have a voice. And does that make sense? Like I saw so much overlap in just aspiring to be a good company. No, you're, you're very tight. And I think that was where we were trying to head towards. I think the, the DAP strategy was really about, you know, if you can take the friction out of how people do work and you can allow them to do work better and you can simplify it and you don't make it so icky, uh, then you're going to get a better outcome. The, the, the trick around all of that, there, there are two tricks, right? The first one is really think about who your customer is because a lot of the times we think the customer is you and I buying the book on Amazon, right? But in reality, the customer is also the back-end groups of people who have to make all that wonderful stuff connect, right. all that connective tissue work for the book to actually land and get to you on time. And where most organizations have spent most of their time is on that front-end part of the equation. And in the book, I talk about Amazon's one-click checkout. Right? And that was a very, very uh, blatant uh, response to how do, I how do I simplify people buying the actual um, product. Now, when you start thinking about the backend stuff, we're only just starting on that journey right now. And most organizations are thinking that um, the, the journey is a, a replacement of technology. And it isn't. It is about how people use the technology, whether you're replacing or not. And in the book, I talk about the baby user. Yeah. Right? Uh, inspired, inspired by baby Yoda, I have to admit, um, and certainly validated by my children as I was you know, thinking out you know, the metaphor. And, and really, if we really are serious about simplifying work, then you know what a, what a digital adoption platform helps you do. It helps you take that baby user, and let me just be very clear: we are all baby users, right, of technology. When something new hits us, guess what? We're baby right. because we don't have that level of mastery. And what we're trying to do is to get people from that you know crouch position to crawling to walking to running. And the sooner we can get them to running, right, we're going to get value from the underlying uh, investments. Right. The second, th the second thing to think about is, you know, with the cloud, and, you know, no transformation would be complete without talking about the cloud, um, we're going to be inundated with functional releases and things are going to change. And we're going to use, hopefully we're going to use insights to drive continuous process improvement. If we're going to do that, then things are going to change. And every time you push in another change, you know, it's akin to, uh, you know, if you just close your eyes, you'll probably see it. It's akin to, you know, that baby user being thrown an obstacle and we have two choices. Do we then make that obstacle too hard to leap? And then that baby user goes from running back to crawling, right? Or do we use a digital adoption platform to help that baby user hurdle that obstacle to keep them running? Right. Right. And ultimately, I believe it's uh, the onus on every business to think about it that way, because if we can keep people hurdling obstacles, we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. We simplify work. We simplify work. We bring joy back to work. We bring joy back to work. You know, we mitigate attrition and everything else. And hey, we end up impacting humanity, which is really what a digital adoption platform's basic premise is. By the way, so much in there. And kudos for making it so eloquent. And that was the line, the baby user, uh, independent, successful, resilient was the line, I think, if I remember rightly. And, yeah. you know, that was such a good, and by the way, I've already used that line when talking about how you treat people. And again, remove the word transformation, and I don't want to, because I know that's part of the conversation. But, you know, one of the things I had, I remember many years ago, I had an engineer um, I, was, I was trying to hire, and his requirement was, if your build time takes more than a minute, I'm leaving at any point in my career with you. And and at the time I was like, build, for, build time for what exactly? Um, and am I the right person for this conversation? And he was explaining to me that there were just things that gave him anxiety. And it's not to say that if the build time was you know, a minute versus 15 minutes, he would be 14 minutes more productive. No, he may still do nothing in those 14 minutes, but the anxiety and the waiting and the annoyance uh, meant that it was really difficult for him to then jump back in to what he was doing. 
And I remember, and he didn't say it quite as threatening as that, and I don't want to misrepresent him, but it was a really important moment of understanding how someone's anxiety, but at the same time, you know, the expectation that people just know, the implied knowledge of, I know what it's going to take for him to have a good experience in my company. And the reality is, if he hadn't have mentioned that, I would never have thought about that in my life. Now, the, the result of that is the investment we made in making sure that our all of our developers could really highlight things that just ticked them off, that just made them a little bit less productive. You know, again, it doesn't mean velocity. So I guess that first section is how do you, as an organization, part of your strategy, know what you don't know? Do you assume everyone starts in the baby position and knows zero? Or, or you know, are you doing what most companies do, which is the assumption that, you know, it's going to just work for you. Here's how you fill expenses. Go here. Good luck. And you're like, awesome. I'm now in, you know, mayhem hell. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very critical and maybe too critical at point, uh, to a point where most of these transformation programs are filled with digital migrants, not, uh, you know, not digital natives. Right. And I think what really happens here is we've missed the beat in really trying to bring in uh, to the conversation or into the program people who kind of understand what digital really means because they grew up with it, right? right? Uh, and, that, and they were immersed with it. And I think one of the first things that organizations need to do is to really realize if you're going to go down this path, right? Why not get the right SWAT team blended together with what you have today so you have the best of both worlds? I think that's the, the first thing. And, 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 I, and the companies that I've seen do this really well have really got a better outcome because there's a richness in the diversity of thought in the transformation teams. That's the, that, that, that's the very first big thing. Um, I think the second thing that we really do need to uh, be very, very transparent around is really the benefit case for change. I mean, every time I go into a, a transformation program, I ask the question, I say, why are we doing this? And everyone kind of looks at, oh, because we need to transform. I say, yeah, well, why? <laughs> right. right. I mean, do you know, do you know where that North Star is? What are you headed, where are you headed towards? Right. Is it about a technology deployment? Is it cost takeout? Well, where are you going? And if, you, and if you're honest enough and say, I'm deploying this piece because I want to sunset 25 applications and that's going to give me a huge cost takeout. Great. That's no problem. Right. But at least, you know, you know, then, you know, let, let's quick, let, let's try and get this thing deployed as quickly as possible, because then I accelerate the payback period. That's the part of the book that you probably haven't and read. You know the target, right? You know, the target Correct. that you're trying to hit. That's such a critical point, because when customers are implementing kind of post-employment alumni solutions, it's a bolt on. It's in the silo, literally good luck, bolted on, pray, and then everyone's kind of angry why it doesn't take off and rocket ship. And very often when we get a very big customer, even though the instinct is to say, yes, of course, whatever we can do for you, they say, we want to launch a community for our ex-employees. And I'm like, what does community mean to you? And there's usually some shaky conversations. And the second thing is why? I, I almost often start very similar to what you said, which is a no. And it's your responsibility as a customer, maybe working with me or working with stakeholders to advocate why this business case for starting this actually makes sense. And I found so many times people had it in their head and maybe hadn't articulated it correctly, or they had kind of this general statement, but they didn't have a written down mission, vision, objectives. And I'm not talking about 300 page plan. I'm talking about two sentences that just allows you to represent why are we doing this? Because I think so many companies just assume, yes, they hear the word transformation, they hear the word transform, they hear the word experience, we should do that. And they don't stop. No one stopped them and said, no, you shouldn't do that. What's broken? What's currently broken that's forcing this change? So how do you kind of approach that, uh, asking a customer to validate the use case for a transformation yeah. project, especially one where potentially, if I might say this, your employment is dependent on them saying yes to it? And doing it, and I don't mean that with any negativity, uh, but it's a fair statement, right? You're essentially asking to be the devil's advocate and force them. To, now, you want the answer to be a yes, right? But how do you get them there? So it's a really interesting question. I think there, 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 there are two parts to it. And I think the first thing is um, I talk about this in the book, the power of how. Yep. So, you know, you just talked about an alumni solution, et cetera, right? And say, so what, what is it you want to do? I want to 
build out an alumni solution. Great. Why do you want to do it? Oh, because I want to keep, uh, I want to build a database and I want to keep in contact with the alums. Wonderful. And then I say to them, how do you plan to do that? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm going to deploy the software. Right. I'm like, yeah, but that's not how you actually are going to uh, drive value from it. it. says, really? I said, who are you driving value for? And then it was like, what do you mean? Well, well, I said, are you driving value for the alumni? Are you driving value for yourself? Are you driving uh, value for the network so you can connect everyone? Yes, all the above. Okay, wonderful. Now, how you met, how, how are you going? Uh, do you have a view of where you are today, where you want to get to, and what value that brings? I said, because I can tell you one thing about alumni. Right? The only time alumni wake up and have a look is when they need something. Right. Right? Because... It, so the question is, what are you doing to proactively engage with the external, right, to bring them into the platforms to get the richness of experience? Can't be, oh, we've got a platform sign up here. There must be something else. Can I roll it. back, Raj, just to one thing? I'm sorry to interrupt you sure. because you're 100% right to this concept that technology is the solution where versus technology is actually the enabler of scale. And... You're exactly right. How are you going to do it? Well, we're going to we're going to ring James and we're going to deploy a software. And they don't realize that if you build it, they don't come. Kevin Costner's not walking through the field of dreams. Mm. It's not happening. And so that there's a really big learning or misunderstanding. You know that if you can't do it on paper, then you're certainly not going to be able to do it with our software. And 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 the technology cannot be the center point of your transformation or your of your project. Because otherwise, you know, you're all destined to fail. But there's often not enough people to say those words because uh, implementation has an entire village or ecosystem of people vested in this customer doing this. And so how do you approach? And I know and we're going to get to a kind of the hero framework, some of these other things that I've got questions about. But how do you approach that very simple conversation of the technology is not your solution and is not your friend, to be fair? Yeah, so, so I'm, uh, what I'm pushing customers to think about are outcomes down the road, right? So it's not so much about, as you say, we've got this, the technology deployed, but really what are, the key, what are the key criteria for success? How are you measuring success? What does success look like, right? And it needs to be quantifiable, it needs to be time-bound, and it needs to be personal. Right. So if you can't find that person or those people who can give you that, then you're going to be effectively in a rudderless boat because then it's just going to be about a tech deployment. Right. So what, what, what we're starting to do is we're sitting down and we're literally backing people in the corner and saying, if you're going to do this, can you tell me right now, what is that business issue you're trying to solve for? And if you don't have a time bound personalized uh, piece, right? We've got a challenge because then your target's constantly moving. Now, once you have that, then you really need to go to work on a value framework and you need to try and measure what you're trying to look for. And I, I, I'll give you an example. Something as simple and boring and mundane as, uh, uh, as a performance review. Okay. Um, I work, and I'm allowed to say this because it's a, it's, it's a public podcast that, that, that they share this with. I do some work with a bank called Standard Chartered Bank. And what they wanted to do, right? They want to get better alignment across their associates, across the strategic objectives of the business, which is what HR is meant to do. And they wanted to ensure uh, that they were improving colleague experience through that journey. Okay. So they said, Raj, you know, the media review process is a wonderful way to get going around this. Um, and so, you know, this is our, our business issue. Currently, we have 13% completion rates on the mid-year review process across the board. So 13% over 95,000 employees. <laughs> not, not really, not really uh, a stat you, you want to be proud of. Okay, great. So I said to them, I said, where would you like to get to? He says, well, if we get to 50%, that would be great. I said, okay. What are your concerns about getting to 50%? Well, if we were to raise this, we may need to rethink our, our infrastructure and support costs because we'll need more trainers, we'll need more support agents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so there's a cashable 
benefit, negative benefit to doing this because we're probably going to have to, it probably costs us, you know, whatever the amount is, half a million dollars or whatever. Right. So great. I said, all right, now, is that all you want to do? And he said, um, kind of, what else should we be thinking about? I said, you mentioned colleague experience. He says, yeah, um, I'm sure you've got some form of metrics, but why don't we ask colleagues, you know, as they go through the process, whether they abandon or they don't abandon what they think the, the experience is like. Oh, that's great. I said, all right, now, are you interested in them just completing the process or are you interested in them completing the process accurately and, you know, with more richness? Well, what do you mean? Because, well, in performance review forms, you know, I know most managers will just put good or well done or two dots. I said, that doesn't help anyone. How about we put some data validation around those cells and say, hey, it's got to be two sentences of minimum 10 words, right? And then on top of that, we can prompt you and give you some examples. Oh, that's great. And then I said, you know, the last thing I said, you know, wouldn't you like to know whether, you know, having this type of experience uh, benefits the user? He says, well, how will we measure that? So, well, maybe they take a shorter period of time to complete the process. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. Right. So anyway, they, they, they did that. Um, and the only real incremental cost was actually the cost to build content. Okay. Uh, they didn't have to spend on additional trainers, additional uh, contact center agents, which was brilliant. And, and you'll understand why in a minute, because they didn't go from 13% to 50%. They went from 13% to 93%. Wow. Okay. So now traditionally they would have been inundated with phone calls or support questions or whatever, you know, if you really wanted to get to that level of um, overachievement, but because we had overlaid all the quick reference guide material at each uh, logical step in the process. So, you know, you hit this traffic light. So this is the question that you probably have here. You hit this traffic light, this is, and you overlaid that there. We could now measure that, you know, six in 10 users were using the, that quick reference guide material in the flow of that process instead of picking up the phone and trying to call someone and say, hey, what do I do here? Right, so that's pretty powerful in itself. And then the final, you know, uh, cherry on the top of the cake was they, they found that whomever was using this strategy or the, 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 the digital adoption platform, those users were completing the process a whole 40 minutes faster than uh, right. those who weren't. And that then enabled you to have that conversation with the manager. And so when you start thinking about it, you just didn't think about a deployment of technology. You were thinking about, A, how the end user was going to engage with that technology to get through that. You were thinking about the manager uh, and you know, what was the expectation from all of that. And you were tying it all together with cashable and non-cashable benefits. Right. And that's really you know, the, 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 the mindset shift that needs to take place. And I, and I think I, I mentioned this in the book, right? We cannot use a 20th century mindset to solve a 21st century problem. It just won't work. Can you do what you're talking about in a silo and, you know, transformation happening everywhere all across the organization where what you talked about is is correct and 100 percent is so amazing in terms of this concept of you came in with a business problem and actually you deployed a strategy that made everyone happier and including in that by the way are some non-tangible benefits that i don't know how you measure perhaps a survey or whatever it is which is people probably just enjoyed it more less anxiety at work less dread of opening that performance review and having to do your work you know we've all been there and oh minimum word count 120 no examples no nothing frank is still doing fantastic thank you type of thing but you know mm. what you talked about touched on so many areas how do you approach the conversation that you essentially it's in a silo right this this performance review conversation but if you were to do each of the projects in the organizational transformation in a silo, according to the strategy, I guess, how does it all come together? What are, where are the master agreements or the master guidelines that says when you are undertaking a DAP strategy, even in a silo, they must adhere to the following protocols so we don't end up with, you know, 480 microservices acting independently. And, and this is where that value framework comes into make. This is where the definition of cashable, non-cashable benefits comes together, but the, the nuance is you're bringing people in who actually 
um, have skin in the game. Right. Because it, let, 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 let's put it in a different way, right? So in that, in that banking example, if they didn't bring in the support center, if they didn't bring in the training group, right? And they basically say, we want to hit 93%, 90%, 50%, whatever it is. Those two other teams would have had to go and figure out where do they get the additional 100, 200, $300,000 to basically uh, you know, build out capacity to support it all. Right. Right. Now what you're turning around and saying to them is, look, we're going to do this, but do you think that, you know, overlaying this here will help? And guess what? They'll say, well, you know, our top 20 calls are around this thing. Great. You need to be solving for this thing. So if you're going to do this, make sure you put this thing in there. Right. And now all of a sudden you're, you're breaking down those, those, those siloed walls because the guy in the support center has skin in the game because he doesn't want to report back to his manager that his cost to serve went up 10% just because of a mid-year review process. Right. He doesn't want to report back to his manager that his average handling time went up because he had to deal with more you know, people not knowing what to do with the process. So guess what? You, know, you have to take people through the journey and help them understand what that benefit is to them. And that benefit isn't just non-cash around productivity or efficiency. It's about effectiveness. It is about how I take cost out of the equation. And you know, we shy away from cashable benefit because we're worried that there is no cashable benefit. And guess what? If there is no cashable benefit, you've got the answer to your problem. It's not worth doing. Right. And most people are afraid of that piece because they think it's about a technology deployment. Right. So hopefully that makes sense. That makes so much sense. You know, when I go back to exactly what we do for a living, which is so many companies, shit, we are investing so much in retention and recruiting and all of these things. They leave and we kick them out the door quick, spin up a thing to do a thing that we can just grab data. But it's always in a silo and it very rarely out the gate gets kind of the support from HR, the support from sales, the support from them. But down the line, it ends up really hurting the company because there isn't a streamlined way for that ex-alumni to come back into the organization. They instead still have to go to the careers page, still have to do this. And I think that's a really important point that you made. It's, you know, the cashable, non-cashable benefits is that you have to include your stakeholders. And it's not necessarily just a, hey, we're going to save money. It's, hey, these are the benefits that your business unit will get out of this. And this is why it's worth the investment or the attention, you know, because at the same time, with a lot of companies, they'll tell you, well, we want to do this, but we're resourced out. <laughs> so, you know, we'll do the integration, you know, in in milestone 86. And, hmm. and it's a nice way to push the problem down the road. And sometimes it's appreciated because the company's difficult to work with. Uh, you know, hopefully it'll be someone else's problem by the time <laughs> it comes around. But I, I guess that leads me all the way back to, you know, walk me actually and the framework uh, and the hero framework that you talked about uh am i tying that correctly just want to make sure i'm making the correct jump yeah I, I think before you go i'll ask you the question in that alumni example how many alumni do you have in the design process probably none i new podcast episode my tantrums uh, it is, you know, it, it, it's you're walking a fine line. You know, you are the vendor and you are, you know, as a vendor, I want to be the biggest advocate for the company. I want them to be successful. And being successful is doing all of the hard questions and the uncomfortable questions before they come on as a customer. And true success is being overly transparent, just absolutely transparent about what it's going to take to succeed. But with all of that, you have companies that still have, I'll give you a great example. So one of our customers, they laid off a lot of people, big restructuring, and they're launching alumni network because they want to make it easier potentially for them to bring them back. A very selfish reason. We want to make sure when they walk out the door, we get their Gmail, we get their competencies. So when we rehire them or we reskill up or whatever that means, we can grab them. Um, and so, you know, we talked about the fact, well, should users be able to post content and be able to say something? And the company said, no, of course not. We're firing all these people. Are you kidding me? They're going to have massive tantrums. And I, and I stood up there. I said, I'm just going to give you a choice. Would you prefer they do it on Glassdoor? Or would you prefer they do it in a private safe space where everyone knows that this is not the best process and you're going through some challenging times and they're in a community of other people in the same scenario? And so companies are so in the way of themselves so often. And the, the my, my final example of that is like, I don't know if you remember, the you know, 
it took so long for a big bank to be able to have a tweet that just went out that said, happy Friday, everybody. Because everyone was like, no, we can't say that. Too human, too much empathy, too much love, too much risk to say happy Friday on Twitter. Now everyone knows actually it's amazing. It shows empathy, shows love, shows compassion, shows you're human, shows all of those things. The same happens with kind of this community experience or the alumni experience, which is it's trying to put these parameters that allow you to maintain this control, which which is why I said that so much of your book is about ex employee experience. But to me, the employee experience doesn't end when you leave. The employee experience is a career-long relationship with an employer if you and them choose it to be. And so that's that was my tie-in, the, the employee experience of just how great you can make an experience for a person goes back to your point. What's the value? Why do they want to be in it? But so few companies are willing to have a stakeholder in the room that tells them. And instead, they're building out this entire program, you know, on the 42nd floor of Canary Wharf in an office telling telling us and telling each other what a group of people they've never spoken to want because they're only approaching it from a very, and I say this openly, a relatively selfish side. This is what we want out of them. This is what we expect out of them. And and again, are surprised when they don't get the, the growth that they want in the platform. The one issue we always run into is your platform's always going to grow in membership year on year because every company has attrition. So very often a company can hide the sins of their poor engagement numbers in the growth of their network, if that makes sense. So it does. And I think this, what, you're, what, you're, what, you, what you're zeroing in now and you're very rapidly getting to, the customer here is the alumni. Agreed. And unless you understand what the alum actually wants and needs, right, then the outcome you're getting from that investment may never achieve the value at hope you had hoped to. Now, let's, you know, if we're going to be crude about it, these alumni platforms, are purely about having skills on a database in case you needed to trigger them, right? But the reality is most people who have left have left probably under a cloud or for whatever reason. Now, what you need to think about is how you can help them as they transition out of the organization. And if you do that well, then the non-cashable benefit, the goodwill that you will instill, is so huge, it's ridiculously huge that it will engender loyalty and it will engender some form of you know, forgiveness and you'll end up coming back. You know, somebody said to me, you know, um, there's a, can we talk about brands on, on, on the call? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so, you know, um, Workday, right. A lot of people didn't quite understand why Dave Duffield and Workday um, had such an impact in the market. Well, some people can say about, talk about the tech and everything else. But actually, the vast majority of people felt such a great allegiance to, 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 to Dave because after the people soft situation, he went out and set up a fund for anybody impacted from you know being uh, being being culled by, by by Oracle, and that single act that helped alums through that difficult period. Yeah. Right. And you know just demonstrated a different level of empathy, a different level of you know, loyalty. And it didn't matter whether the product was going to be any good or not. Guess what? Dave was there for me. Yeah. And this is how I'm going to reward Dave. And there's a perfect example of how you can read. And I'm not saying go out and pay everybody a million bucks. Right. I'm just saying think about where they are in their journey and how you can supplement that part of their journey so it's not as painful so that they remember that. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, not only does it make sense, it's exactly, you know, you're right. The alumni platform is born, its primary goal is exactly that. It's a talent marketplace uh, on behalf of the company. It's the most pre-vetted, pre-qualified people. We talk about you leaving SAP. They know you, they know your old manager, they can phone three people and they'll know exactly what your play is, you know. And, but you start to see it actually move into brand and brand effectiveness and business referral and business development. But you're right. When someone's leaving the organization, as they're throwing their Blackberry in the trash, you can't be like, hey, you want to come back and work for us it doesn't work you have to start with hey let's stay in touch and so the company has to spend time and resources similar to your topic of showing that they are a good brand and a good people and are there for their people so that when they need something in your example i'm launching workday people are like i'm in i'm in by default because you've never not done right by me and i think 
that's what a lot of the employee experience is. It's the company doing right by its people at, at every step of the way it can and not making their life difficult. You know, you have a lot of people who leave the company because of a bad manager, poor manager, or they don't get the promotion they expect, or they don't get X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean they hate the company. They just didn't potentially leave in the way that they had expected, the promotion, whatever that might mean. And so very often, though, these alumni go out into the ecosystem. You know, you think about business transformation, the amount of people that are going from transformation to transformation and going around because they become absolute experts at it. And therefore, you know, they start their consultancy or work for consultancy. So, you know, you leave work there, you leave SAP, you're not going to, to go work at Boeing, you know, building a jet. No, you're going into the into the ISV or the SI program in almost all scenarios or a competitor in all scenarios. And so when you start to think about those moments and how did this company make my life better? Those are the moments people remember because they bring them up when they go to their new company and they're not there. They bring them up when they're like, you know, my last company did, did exactly as you talk about, performance reporting amazingly. I loved it there. We should do that here. We should have that here. And so, you know, I don't think you can have transformation without going all the way back to the beginning without diversity of opinion. And diversity of opinion specifically requires people who are not part of the organization specifically requires people who have gone out into the world, done something else, come back and brought that knowledge in. But I guess I guess my big question that I was alluding to or getting to was, was this need for engagement and buy-in from the actual employee, the, the end user, exactly as you said, who are you serving here? Ultimately, you're serving the person on the other end of the computer that's performing the function. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you know, users are difficult <laughs> and users are challenging. And how do you build out that knowledge framework to make sure that the transformation that you're doing or the exercise you're doing is you've at least worked out the majority of reasons why it won't work. You can't guarantee success, but you can certainly de-risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, one of the big topics that, again, I, I refer to in the book is something that is arguably the biggest um, I suppose the biggest learning I, I've taken out from the, these, these programs, you know, when we go through these transformations, and I hate using the word because, you know, we'll talk about what a digital transformation actually is. Um, you're actually thinking about, um, we're not thinking enough about content, right? And we think it's, you know, a one-time build, thank you very much, off we go. And in the book, I talk about, you know, your content as an asset strategy. And what I mean by that is, yes, you can build content one time, but like a muscle, you know, the more it's used and the better it's used and the different options and the different ways it's being used, that content suddenly becomes far more uh, robust, far more um, valuable to an organization. And I think as you go through that, it requires different perspectives as you're building the content. Now, I'll give you an example. Okay, and then you, and then you can, and <laughs> you can tell me whether I'm, I'm smoking something. So, you know, when when you first start off, you're trying to get someone from the start to the end, pretty straightforward. So what you do is you build in guidance. You know, step one, two, three, four. Now, as you go through it, you suddenly learn, right? And this is what a digital adoption platform teaches you. It gives you design principles that 90% of people don't need help at the start. They actually need help in the middle and to the end. Great. So that content needs to be able to be triggered at any point in the journey when you need help, right? So that's another layer to it. Now, as you're going through it, you find out from the analytics that, you know, people are skipping a few cells, putting in the wrong format. So what do you do? Put data validation in. Um, so what you're doing is your content is evolving, right? Then as you go through that, you realize there are five dead clicks. Okay, you automate that. Then you think about it, hey, hang on a second. Um, I might need to put a survey just to figure out whether people like all of that. Right. Now, most people think, hey, that's pretty powerful. That's really great. You know, well, guess what? The evolution of that content now goes to two other parts that nobody really thought about. The first part was, how do I bring people into the process from outside the application? Right. Right. Guess what? You didn't wake up, say, I want to do goal setting. Right? You probably had to be dragged then. It was probably because you were cajoled by your manager or whomever to say, you better get it done. Right. How about now I push out an engagement piece saying, hey, guys, goal setting is up and running, right? 
just click here, we'll help you through that process. Now all of a sudden you're bringing people in. You're thinking about where people are hanging out. There may be some people who, hey, say, I need to read up on it. So maybe they're hiding out in a SharePoint in a wiki trying to read the documentation before they come in. But why not have a button saying, hey, if you're interested in setting your goal, click on this button. Right. You know, it's now giving you a omni-channel type of experience. Now, oh, cool. Now the last part could be you finish goal setting, what happened? And, you, and this, is, this is a beautiful moment because I sit in front of people who do this day in and day out. And they're like, oh, they set the goal. That's what they need to do. I said, really? They're like, yeah. I said, why didn't you bring someone in? So they brought in someone and said, okay. And said, okay, after you set your goal, what is the next thing you need to do? Oh, I need to have a conversation with my manager. Okay. So now why don't we link that to your calendar, your manager's calendar, set up some time. So what happens now is when you bring the user into it, and you build layers on top of all of that, what you're doing, you might be thinking that you are building content just for one user. No, you're actually building content for a multitude of users who may need that content at different points. And now your content is an asset rather than a liability that you have to keep updating the whole time. Right Does person, yeah, right person, right content, right time. So, okay, that opens another quick. By the way, I wanna be clear, I am going to, without question, be applying these principles uh, with, with customers <laughs> because because they're just foundational principles, but they are articulated in a way that is not overbearing or unfair, if that makes sense. We're not walking in saying, this is how we're going to do it for success. We're saying, here are some foundational principles. But my question I have around that one is, I've always kind of hated cupcakes on go live day, you know, yep. because, well, number one is you're not live. You need another six months of operation to actually be live. And really all you're in is the mayhem period. But also day one is when the first user comes in and clicks. And I have this issue, I guess, with how projects teams roll off the project and operational teams roll on the project. And as part of that, you lose all of this kind of tribal knowledge of the people that were building and designing and thinking and the you who's like, what if and how might we? And it goes live and they say, thank you, you know, onto your next role. But that spirit doesn't kind of live on. Can you, I mean, does that make, is there a question in there? I think there is kind of that, that transfer of power. I think there are a few questions in there. And I think when you look at digital transformations, everybody thinks the transformation is to go live. Um, and in the book, I use the, the, the caterpillar and the butterfly metaphor right. um, quite a bit. And what people don't realize is, you know, first of all, are you just, you know, at the end of the journey, do you still want to be that pesky caterpillar that might be a bit fatter that's still, you know, destroying plants? Or are you getting to a point where you're that majestic two-winged insect that is flying, you know, from flower to flower, feeding off nectar, cross-pollinating plants? The two fundamental different outcomes and the journey between the two, right, are various pit stops in the equation. And that's where the metamorphosis takes place. And as you go through that, if you think about it, what happens in, you know, when a caterpillar gets into a cocoon, it effectively digests itself. Right. And then it recalibrates itself into individual cells, whether, you know, that's the head, whether that's the body, whether those are the wings. Now, each of these steps, right, is part of the transformation and need to be celebrated. And I go as far as saying the go live is probably the point where the wings have been formed. Right. But it doesn't mean you're flying. Right. right. And so and so the flying part, right, comes when you're measuring, right, the value you're getting out of the equation. You go back to the insights, you review what's happening, you iterate, so you become stronger at flying, you can fly higher, faster, further, and you iterate again. So really the cupcake moment, yeah, you could say there's a cupcake moment when you go live. But the reality is the cupcake moment is when you start seeing value being being driven from the equation. There's no value from data, going live. Right? So cupcakes is start of the data experience. And absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And 
And I think that's something that's very difficult for people to recognize. I mean, when we do our implementations, project manager, IT, tech, HR, and then it goes live and then this alumni office takes over and they're always fantastic, but they've lost all of these supporting things. There was something I read a couple of weeks ago, I think it was an engineer at Google who was trying out this strategy that when engineers build and deliver code, they don't close the ticket when the code goes to production. They have to close the ticket after the value that their code has done has been proven. And I was like- But, but James, but James, then you come all the way back, then it becomes a compensation issue. Right. So what you're doing here is what, what gets measured gets done. Right. So if, if, if you're going to celebrate go live and hype and hypercare, right, then the outcome you're going to get is go live and hypercare. Right. But if you're going to celebrate value based on operational metrics being hit and financial metrics being triggered, then the behavior you're going to get in the implementation is going to change quite dramatically because the mindset from the very beginning is not about an event, but it's about the ongoing process of how. How is the user using the technology to get the outcome that's going to trigger the operational metric, which in turn is going to trigger the financial outcome, which effectively is the business benefits case for the transformation. It's logical. The yeah. only problem is we are still using a 20th century mindset to fix the 21st century problem. In the 20th century, we weren't worried about digital transformation. Right. No, that's, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. That's, that's, that's and it. the compensation model is really clear as well. You're absolutely right. It is how, you know, if I go back to that Google example of if an engineer is now responsible for the success of their code and deployment, not does it work, but does it do what it was expected to do to deliver the Correct. business results? And all of a sudden, and I remember talking it through with my team and an engineer is like, but I'm not in charge of business results. I'm in charge of making sure the code does what's on the, you know, on the piece of paper in the JIRA ticket. And now you're telling me that actually as an engineer, I have responsibility to make sure that what I am building has is a correct B of value and C can be measured in a way and you're asking me as an engineer to know that before I start and and I was like yes and he was like amazing but also impossible for me also impossible to execute and I was like well not totally impossible but it goes to your point it is is what is what is that engineer measured on is it code is it code commits is it velocity is it framework and if we were to move it and say actually you are compensated based on the success of the technology that you build and its impact on the bottom line its impact on the user result its impact on the result i mean boy would we have less shitty software in the world <laughs> yeah let me read something from the book right chapter seven and and you know i i i, I you know i've, I've borrowed this uh, with hopefully permission from the person. Um, and I talk about, you know, would we blame the customer for the lack of performance on the product the same way we would do our employees, right? And I think if we're honest, many organizations view the employee experience as the last customer of the organization. And that mindset has resulted in a spaghetti-like mess, often resulting in lower than expected performance, right? We, you know, our retort is to blame the employee for not leveraging the tools that we have provided them. But can you imagine if we blame the customer for not using the technology we provided the customer? Yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's right? that's implied expectation, right? This is you know that that no one cares, no one is. You can't make these assumptions on behalf of someone. And if you do, you know, you're going to have the results you expect. But that go, does go back into the conversation around this is purely an experience and being a good company. And a good company would say that everyone should be aligned to the same performance metrics, success, whatever success might mean. And I'm not saying everyone's on the same compensation program tied to the stock price. What I'm saying is that you take people and you take them out of the silo that the 20th century employee was in, do this code, get it to production, and say, actually, there's more to it than that. And if you need to iterate it, I think the other part of what you're talking about, which is so interesting, is this continuous iteration, that when you go live, you are, you're in beta. You're in a perpetual state of beta and companies have to be more comfortable with talking about the fact that, yes, we're going to be in beta for the rest of our life with this software and that's okay. So I guess my, my you know, as we start to round this out, my final two questions. So one is I do want to talk about the, um, the hero framework a little bit and sure. 
because it was really sure. I, I wasn't familiar with it but when you google it it's out there but it's 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 clever yeah and and you know i think there are a lot of value frameworks out there i think ultimately what the value framework does it keeps us honest around what we're trying to do and how we're measuring what we do and if you don't have that um and you're not reporting back on it you have a challenge and this is the whole thing around go live in hypercare if you ask delivery teams what is you know what is your end goal they will turn around and say our end goal is to get this thing up and running uh and get us out of hypercare as quickly as possible wonderful go tell that to the companies that have failed in their erp deployments twice over right right why have they failed because it's not the tech that's failed them it's how you use the tech if we now shift the conversation to um success is defined by how many support tickets uh we get let's just just use yeah. that for a moment because that will then re- result in us not having to go and you know hire thousands of support people right then what would you be doing you'd be going back into the current support regime and saying look what are the top 100 things that people are calling yeah. you for right let's go figure out how we make that the least friction or the most frictionless process in the equation and by default when you go live you probably get some 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 measure of benefit from that because you're now measuring an outcome not an output and i think for the longest time we've been focused on outputs and not outcomes and so what the value framework allows you to do it allows you to start thinking about which outcomes you're trying to measure and i can tell you the most confrontational part around it isn't oh do you have a baseline where you where would you like to get to the most confrontational is most people can't quantify the value of if you hit the metric right right and maybe i'm asking the wrong people i'll give you an example i i did a piece of work for a, for a, for a mobile operator and they were trying to drive more revenue from their digital channels because covid and all that wonderful stuff which was great and uh immediately they said um you know we need to find a way to raise the uh, our app store ratings right uh, so great well, where are you today or oh, we were at they were at 1.9 of 2000 reviews so great where would you like to get to they said if we could uh, go if we could go anywhere over 3.5 that would be great my mistake at the time i didn't ask them if i got you to 3.5 what value does it mean what does it create for you Well long story short we took them from 1.9 to 4.4 and off the back of 25,000 reviews right so far more robust higher number great turned up you know customer success meeting you know said to the customer you wanted one point, we went from 1.8 to 1.9 you wanted to get to 3 in a bit we got you to 4 in a bit hallelujah fantastic where's my renewal and then they said um 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 I said what does that mean says says you know this is great we got the ratings up but we can't actually calculate the value of doing that and i'm like so why did we do it and everybody kind of looked at each other and i think the hero framework allows you to have those conversations up front and if the person that you know you're talking to doesn't have the answer it gives you an opportunity now to go and ask them to go find that person because that's another way of tearing down that silo right so you get that end to end goal you get that bind through the process and when you get the bind through the process the result you know people are people are far more supportive of the outcomes that come from there and now they go back and say guys we've gone from 1.8 to 4.4 there's got to be some value there there's got to be some mileage we can use out of this thing what is it and that is a far better conversation than oh we need to do it cuz my ceo wanted the app store rating up right so kind of you know so the hero framework starts giving you that 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 baseline to start asking these questions and then you report back and what would happen very quickly right you'll either not get the results you were expecting but guess what you'll know a lot quicker right right and then it'll allow you to go and iterate so when the hero i'll give you another example hero framework there was a customer of ours um recruiting platform wanted to collect um alumni data and they wanted to collect one other thing uh, uh resumes okay and so they went through this process they went live and you know over the first 
21 days, they saw great traction in alums coming in, populating everything. And then all of a sudden, they looked at their repository of data, uh, of, uh, of resumes, and it wasn't very high. And they're like, holy smoke. Now, in a normal digital transformation program, they, 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 they hit all the buttons, right? They went live, got through post, uh, uh, they were, got through hypercare, support calls were rather low. That was great. Tick, 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 tick. But what were they really trying to do? They're trying to get data and resumes, but they weren't getting the resumes, right? Now, part of that value framework was we want to get completeness of data and completeness of data included by definition data of the, the user and the resume. Right. So what did they do when they realized they didn't have it? They went in, they put some data validation on the attachment button and on the save button. And if they click the save button without clicking the attachment button, they didn't allow you to save. Overnight, that triggered a different outcome and they started getting all the resumes that they needed. So the hero framework is really that framework to guide you to ensure that you're getting or you're, you're, you're navigating towards those outcomes that you're looking for. But more importantly, it's allowing you then to quantify the value of those outcomes, which then should trigger those operational and financial levers, which actually then went to the, the real benefits case for the change. Does that make sense? So much sense. And I feel like I'm the big selfish winner in this conversation, Raj, because I have, as the vendor, what you talk about in your book, what you've talked about here is everything that I should be doubling down on and rethinking in terms of how to ensure, you know, customer success. And customer success starts with all of these ideas around frameworks. And so I feel very selfish having taken your time because it's just, you're absolutely right. And sometimes people just need it explained in a way that they can articulate and take on and do something. So, you know, I think just as an FYI, any new customer I get, I always send a couple of books. I'm sure no one ever reads any of them, but there's no scenario that this isn't being added to it because it's such a clever book. It's so well-written in terms of just, I don't want to say for dummies, but for someone who hasn't gone through big business transformation, it really just has some very simple principles to follow that I think are so valuable for anyone who's deploying, building anything in technology. And so my first point to you, Raj, is thank you very, very much for giving me this TEDx talk that I've been a, a guest watching. Um, and, and the second is companies who are listening to this and people who, and I'm not looking for, you know, go to this website and get in touch, but companies that, that are thinking about deploying technology and here outcomes, not outputs. And they're like, oh, of course. Where do they start? Where's the first step? Yes. Step one, read the book, obviously. Step two, leave a review, obviously. Step three is, is what? Look, on my site, dapstrategist.com, I knew some of these questions were going to come. And so what I did was I created a little bit of an assessment sheet. And all you have to do is subscribe. And I think it's three or four pages. And it walks you through the questions that you need to ask. And if you don't have the answers to those questions, there lies an opportunity in itself to go and speak to people to actually get the information. And in that process, two things are going to happen. You're going to tear down those silos. And the second thing is you're actually going to get a richness of um, why and the how. Now, when you've done that, if you want to have a chat with me, knock yourself out because you can, you can set up time on, on the website. It's, it, 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 it's there. Uh, but that's the first basic principle, right? Go through that assessment piece. Try and understand what that, uh, you know, where the gaps are and then plug those gaps. I think that's the, the, the very first step in the, in the journey. I mean, there's so many things you can think about. Yeah, that's exactly what I was yeah. looking for. Dap Strategist, I'll put the link in absolutely everything. Thank you again for letting me be a guest as you just gave us all this wisdom. Um, I'd love for you to have the final word, final thought, final anything to close us out. Hardly wisdom, mate. I mean, you know, I've been blessed to uh, have the opportunity to, uh, collaborate um, with so many organizations that I've literally sponged off on. Uh, there's, there's, there's no wisdom here. I just, you know, felt that there was a need to, to put it all together. Um, I, you know, it was pretty confrontational to write the book. I was given an opportunity to do it and I did. Now, I guess what I will, what, what I will share with, with, with the audience now, some people think, yeah, you know, this is probably a fad thing and, you know, it's pretty cool, you know, this new funky duck thing. But um, at the start of the book, um, you know, I put a few things out there because I thought it was, you know, just to try and get, get, get 
get people's attention. You know, having read the book, you would have seen on page three, four, and five, I, I put out some predictions. Uh, not that I claim to be a futurist or anything, but I, the, what, the prediction in 2025 uh, has been at the top of a lot of people's minds right now because they're, they're saying, Raj, we need to talk about this because you're absolutely right. And I just want to read from it because I think it's really, really important. Um, the prediction in 2025 is this, a digital adoption strategy becomes a core talent acquisition strategy. And I think this comes to a lot of the work that you're doing with alumni as well. Digital employee experience becomes a top five question on a candidate's decision criteria, not an employer's, a candidate's decision criteria on whether to join the organization. Companies that do not have a legitimate answer will not merely struggle with first a churn of new hires, but will struggle to attract the right talent and skills because people will simply not want to come to work and put up with the complexity of work. And so I truly believe that, you know, if you're going to embark on a digital transformation, right, whether your customer is an external party or an internal party, we need to rethink that customer experience or employee experience, because if you don't, you're going to lose them either to the competition or that you're just going to lose them in general. And, you know, that's really going to set you back. But that's just my final word. That is the best final word. I agree, Raj. Thank you so much again for your time. It's so much appreciated. James, thanks very much for the opportunity. It's been a blast. Perfect. The People Experience Podcast is brought to you by Alumni X. To find out more about how we enable organizations to attract, engage, and activate their alumni community, head to alumniex.com. Make sure to search for People Experience anywhere good podcasts are found and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Alumni X, thanks for listening.